The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment. Advice. Today on the lab report, Dr. Christian Jenski's back. You know him. We love him. He's so smart. He's smart and smooth. Whoa. It's a good combo. It is. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Valentine's Day is coming up. It is. I know how much you Fact. love commercial holidays, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to buy some Valentine candy corn? That's a great idea. Brax, get on it. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Patty Devers. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Did you send me flowers again this year? <laughs> no. I, I don't do any <laughs> of that. You have some time. I do not listen to dates on a calendar as to govern my behavior. <laughs> feel guilty about what sort of expenditures listen, I should be doing. Listen. Because... February says so. You why, know what, February? Get out of my life. Why you gotta be such a robot? But remember, this is a podcast. It's a podcast called The Lab Report, brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova, for the uh, all the equipment, yeah. the platform, uh-huh. letting us do this, uh-huh. all those things. What's this about? It is a, you know, it's where we talk about things. Like what kind of things? Oh, all the things. But <laughs> we try to focus it more into the things of like Valentine's precision Day? medicine, oh. precision health, and integrative therapeutics, mm-hmm. and specialty lab testing, things like that. Oh, those are great things. Yeah. And if you also like those things, maybe you can go to iTunes or Spotify, perhaps subscribe to this little those show. Those are other things. Those are the things Lots that you things. can use to get to this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And don't forget to rate, review, download, share with your friends, yep. all that good More stuff. More things you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. We're really bossy and not, today. and not just because February said so. <laughs> because we said so. We're people, not a calendar. <laughs> you like that? We're, we're people, not a calendar. That's true. What is happening what today? What are you on about? What is happening? We are so excited because Dr. Christian Jensky is back. Yes, absolutely. Um, and he is fantastic. He's just the powerhouse clinician and mm-hmm. such a wealth of information, such a wealth of knowledge uh, that we couldn't just have him on for one interview. I mean, this no. is going to be an ongoing oh, God, thing. Yeah. He's going to, I think whenever we have essentially questions that need to be answered by somebody intelligent, mm-hmm. we should refer to Christian Jensky because he's qualified for that, are, as opposed to us or a calendar. Are we, are we going to get a cartoon image of his head and stick it on the logo? That might be fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we should do that. Yeah, but I will say the feedback we got from his first episode was phenomenal. People just related to him. I mean, my sister who works in finance has a crush on him for yeah. whatever reason. So people just resonated with this guy. Although we should say that's she, Christian is probably not the only person in that category to be fair. <laughs> fair right. Fair. I'm, I'm just saying he might be competing with Drew Manning. Yep. Yep. So, uh, well, without further ado. So Patty, 
back by popular <laughs> demand. Do- How psyched are we? <laughs> Dr. Christian Jensky earned his bachelor's degree in chemistry from the College of William and Mary, and he went on to complete his post-baccalaureate pre-medical certification in anatomy from the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine, where he then received a medical degree. Upon completing his residency at VCU, Dr. Jensky became a board-certified emergency medicine physician, and eventually, after years of working in the ER, he found functional medicine and did a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine and became board certified in integrative and holistic medicine. And he also completed the functional certification pathway through IFM, and he currently practices functional medicine as part of the team at Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine, which has been featured by various television programs, newspapers, and national health and wellness influencers, including the Lab Report <laughs> podcast. And with that... Welcome back, Christian. Thank you so much for thank being you. here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you again. Well, I'll tell you, your first appearance on the podcast was a huge hit for you, you happen to have resonated with, you know, across the board. Like I said, my sister, our leadership team, clients, <laughs> patients, we've been hearing it over like and over. Order Christian Jensky, yeah, <laughs> start with my sister. But that being said, how has your life changed since you became uber famous on this podcast, sir? <laughs> you, you guys are insane. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's been great. Um, I would not say uber famous, but thank you for that. It's very humbling. <laughs> I feel incredibly blessed. Um, we're busy and, and I love it. And I, I just don't feel like um, I, I just if you if you're passionate about what you do, then it doesn't really feel like you're working. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I feel on a day to day basis. And so I just feel lucky and blessed really is the short version. Oh, that's Aww. great. That's great. Yeah. Well, and um, absolutely well deserved. Um, I was it's funny to always kind of start here, but 2,500 years ago. Is that right? Yeah, you, you you did the research. Math Hippocrates. is hard. Me- I Michael, know. Math is that hard. was a long time ago. But he <laughs> essentially said all diseases <laughs> begin in the gut. And, you know, 25 years later, here we are. We're always <laughs> looking for the root cause. And it seems like that's a great place to start. So between the three of us, you know, we've looked at so many different know, stool right? profiles. Um, and in your experience, like, what do you think is the most common thing going on these days? Common finding or pattern as it relates to GI complaints in this umbrella IBS term? Like, is it SIBO? Like, is is a yeast like the big thing? Like, where are we at with IBS, I guess? Yeah, so I think um, IBS essentially is probably not really a diagnosis in my opinion. And that's just a personal opinion. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but ultimately I think IBS is kind of a catch-all, like you said, this very broad, generalized, Hey, if we can't find anything overtly structurally wrong, then we'll call it IBS and, and off you go. Um, I think really what we we truly find when, when we have patients that show up with that IBS diagnosis is that they have inflammation or they have dysbiosis or they have malabsorption or, or something else. But the most common one that I see is probably inflammation and most commonly in the form of elevated secretory IgA, which mm. is one of the three markers that the Genova GI effects has. And it basically tells me that there's inflammation and that there's immune dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And because there's a gazillion things that can kind of contribute to that, um, I think easily that's the most common, probably closely followed by low short chain fatty acids, in particular, low butyrate, um, dysbiosis, which is kind of a catch-all for an imbalance of bugs. Mm -hmm. I, I tell my patients all the time that um, dysbiosis doesn't always mean bad guys. It doesn't mean that there's some overgrowth of a potential pathogen or known pathogen but rather it could be your own microbiome being imbalanced or in the wrong place, which is what SIBO is. I mean, it's just a zoning issue. It's bugs from the colon in the small intestine where they don't belong. 
And then you have to figure out how that happened because treating it isn't sufficient because there's a root reason as to how SIBO came about. So, so you have to go after that. Yeast, for sure. Malabsorption tends to go hand in hand when we see dysbiosis and inflammation. But all of these, I, I mean, every GI effects that I do has some component of just about all of these. Um, some are better than others, but but that's really the crux of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You know, and, and we talked a bit last time about your approach to patients, and they come in with all different kinds of complaints. And, you know, I'm going to go with Hippocrates. <laughs> 2,500 years ago, uh, that most disease begins to get, if not all disease begins in the gut. So in your experience, I know you order a lot of GI effects and you order a lot of stool testing. Can you speak to a few of those systemic diseases that aren't always intuitively GI related? Like what are some things that start in the gut that you think might surprise people? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is really probably the most important question um, to answer for patients. And, and it's, I often come across this roadblock that I have to work through. And when you do, there's this aha light bulb moment with, with that patient. And, and it's that even in the absence of GI symptoms, it does not mean that your gut is working appropriately because of downstream, all the things that it affects like immunity, like autoimmunity, like skin, like mood, like detox, like nutrition. If you have any of these conditions, and oh, by the way, I don't have bloating, I don't have heartburn, I poop every day, I never have abdominal pain, it's hard to draw that correlation. And so you have yeah. to kind of teach them how that happens. And, and the most common ones that I see would probably be in no particular order, skin. So things like eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, all tied to the gut, in my opinion, mood disorders. When your gut is leaky or inflamed, your blood brain barrier, which is not Fort Knox, is leaky or inflamed. Mm -hmm. And any of those toxins that are hanging out in the gut, like with polysaccharide, other toxins, metabolic byproducts, they just rip right up that superhighway called the vagus nerve, and they cross that blood-brain barrier that's now porous, and they cause neuroinflammation. And that presents with fatigue, brain fog, depression, anxiety, OCD, pick one, and it's probably stem stemming from some gut dysfunction. Um, autoimmunity, all autoimmunity starts in the gut. I mean, Alessio Fasano taught us that in his celiac work was essentially that final common pathway of genetics, leaky gut and environmental trigger, right? And mm -hmm. so I can't change your genes, but if we can heal a gut and we can find and remove triggers, then we can put autoimmunity into remission, which is incredible. It's the opposite really of what rheumatology does these days, which is suppress the immune system, stop it from attacking you at the expense of potential opportunistic infections. When in actuality, if you can teach the body that it's okay, you can find what triggered that response whether it's diet or a pathogen via molecular mimicry or a toxin and move it out and teach that person to live a lifestyle that keeps it out, then, then that, that autoimmunity tends to go into remission. Other ones would be like neurologic conditions like dementia, like Parkinson's, things like migraines. I mean, the list is, is just a mile long. And, and I think if, if you came in with a symptom that may or may not have GI components to it, the easiest thing to do is the lowest hanging fruit is to focus on the gut first Yeah, and button that up and then see downstream kind of what might autocorrect the same way that if you mistype something on your, on your phone. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> makes me wonder, are there any conditions out there that you, you think maybe this is the one or two conditions that I wouldn't start at the, you know, is there, is there kind of an avenue where it's like, okay, well, this is a different process. 
um, you know, is a cardiovascular disease or, or something like that? Are there other things where you're like, okay, aside from the stuff I listed, maybe not so much starting with the gut? Because we get that question a lot. It's like, mm-hmm. do I start with a nutritional analysis? Do I start with a stool test? And like, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, it kind of depends on where, what's coming in the door. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a hard question. And I think it's a good question. I would be hard pressed to find a condition that doesn't have some ties to the gut. And, and I really feel like if the if the question is, do I do a stool analysis or do I do a nutritional profile like a Nutraval or metabolomics? If you're if you don't know what's happening in the gut, then how do you fully know whether those nutritional deficiencies or abnormalities that pop up are or are not gut related? I mean, knowing that we extract nutrition from our diet yeah. and if the gut's functioning or dysfunctioning, then ultimately those might be causative. And if you don't go after the gut, you're just chasing your tail. Now, the beauty of those tests that y'all do is that they do have dysbiosis markers. So there's a tell if you do a metabolomics or a Nutraval and you see malabsorption markers or bacterial or yeast dysbiosis markers, then you can clinically correlate and flex to a GI effects or, or a breath test, whatever you want to do. Um, but, but I mean, even cardiovascular stuff, if your gut is off, you're, you're not going to be metabolically flexible. You're going to wind up with things like insulin resistance. You're going to wind up with potentially nutrient deficiencies from malabsorption that can lead to hypertension. Um, if you have oxidative stress, sometimes you can mobilize lipids to quench the, that, that fire. And so then you have dyslipidemia and now someone's putting you on a statin. And, and so I think they're all tied, to be honest with you. I think really that is the lowest hanging fruit. I mean, there's, there are surely some outliers, um, like maybe Lyme disease or something like that. But ultimately, Lyme is going to affect the gut mm-hmm. yeah. in a way that those toxins are going to create stress, inflammation, leakiness, et cetera. So I just think it's a two-way street. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, how often do you like wow your patients by, you know, fixing their gut and their complaints completely go away? Like a skin condition. I mean, for my, he's Christian Jensen. Of course. You know, he's all the time. <laughs> but in my course. mind, I, th- I think- A lot? Yeah. It happens yeah. a lot, Patty. I mean, it's just, it's kind of insane. Like I, I when, you, when you go through the functional medicine training and they- they literally kind of hammer home when in doubt, heal the gut, when in doubt, heal the gut. And, and I was just like, okay. And you just, you believe it, but then you start to see it over and over and over again. And it's like, okay, this is why they say that. And, and this is the truth behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it happens all the time, skin stuff. And it might not be that we're necessarily doing a specific GI protocol. It might just be that, okay, here's a GI effects. We see inflammation clearly there's a fire going on. Let's find the gasoline that you're pouring on the fire. So we might do food sensitivity testing or allergy testing or an elimination diet. And then all of a sudden they're removing things that were contributing to the problem. Oh, you're taking these, these medications or these supplements and those were contributing to it. And we remove those. And now all of a sudden their eczema is clearing up or all of a sudden their acne is not as bad. And they're just kind of amazed by it. And mm-hmm. in actuality, it makes complete sense when you kind of break it down. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is so fascinating these days, the more that we're learning, you know, I think about what you, you were talking about supplements or, or medications and how that or diet lifestyle, all that affects the microbiome. And even to the point where, you know, you take a supplement or you eat, you know, a berry smoothie and it's the microbiome's action on those things that's actually doing the physiologic response. And so it's all dependent on how the microbiome is metabolizing these things. So most people don't even think about that as it relates to chronic dysfunction. Where do you start with dysbiosis and addressing the microbiome and how to modulate it and assess it? Yeah, I, I usually use the the testing as a, a roadmap. So like the GI effects will ultimately tell me where I need to go. I mean, clearly, and, and this is across the board, in my opinion, with regards to medicine, you should always clinically correlate. 
It's not always easy to do that, however. So you need quantified data and, and, and that's where these tests come in. And, and ultimately, if someone doesn't have GI symptoms, I don't know how you clinically correlate gut dysfunction unless it's their skin's getting better or their mood's getting better. But a lot of those conditions are multifactorial. The gut plays a, a role, but isn't maybe the be all and end all of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I start, I start with the test. I start with the GI effects and ultimately if they're inflamed, we have to figure out why. We have to figure out where that, that kryptonite is coming from and, and pull it. Uh, and then we have to work on healing that. So using things like bone broth or vitamin D, fatty acid, omega-3 fatty acids, or even specialized supplements like um, SBI Protect or, or something that's going to help heal that leaky gut or simple amino acids like L-glutamine. Um, with regards to dysbiosis, it really depends on what the, the cause is. So if it's this person has just been getting antibiotics over and over again. We have to figure out why and, and, and how that has affected their microbiome and are they necessary? Is there a natural alternative? How we can kind of fix that problem? And then ultimately, if they have issues with low short chain fatty acids, the first thing I'm doing is looking at their diet. Are you getting enough fiber? Um, that's also going to be affected by the microbiome. If they're malabsorbing, we got to work on that. If they have yeast overgrowth, I go after that fairly aggressively because Yeast is problematic, candida in particular, and it's ubiquitous, and it's never going to fully be eradicated from your microbiome, but it's, you don't need it to be running the show, and it's just kind of sitting there waiting as an opportunist to take charge, and then it's going to send impulses to the brain that make you feel unwell, whether it's sad or anxiety, or eat more sugar and carbs, or maybe it provokes that autoimmune response, so going after that's important. It really is a situational specific thing, but ultimately the, the GIFX kind of tells me what I need to know. And then with the inflammatory associated dysbiosis patterns or the methane scores, am I flexing to a SIBO breath test to rule that out? Or if they're already high and there's clinical correlation, do we just treat and then do the breath test on the back end to prove that we've done our due diligence? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how I handle those situations. I love it. I love it. And even in this, when we're talking about things you wouldn't think about that relate back to the gut, like Michael said, cardiovascular disease. One that comes up a lot is hormonal complaints, right? Like yeah. oh, hot flashes or, or whatever hormonal complaint is of the day. So last time you were here, you and Michael went on a mini rant about not <laughs> rushing. Yeah, to- you can't put us <laughs> together. We'll, 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 we'll <laughs> you two are dangerous together. <laughs> but you're talking about how people just rush to supplement with bioidentical hormones instead of looking for those root causes. So you know, give us some example or, or some way that you think about how a patient with hormonal imbalance or symptoms thereof that would that would send you to the stool test and, and what you're looking for there. Yeah, sure. So I would go beyond just um, I'm assuming when you say hormone replacement, we're talking about sex hormones. So mm-hmm. I would go beyond that and, and kind of factor in the entire hormone hierarchy with with cortisol at the top and thyroid kind of sandwiched in between. When it comes to things like stress and cortisol dysregulation. Um, I'm looking for inflammation. I'm looking for dysbiosis. I'm looking for yeast overgrowth um, because of the inflammation and the sugar dysglycemia that tends to occur with chronic cortisol elevations. Um, with regards to uh, thyroid dysfunction, I mean, if someone's hypothyroid and they're not aware of it, that's a problem. If they are and they're being medically managed, but not, in my opinion, appropriately so, where you know their numbers might be falling into the quote unquote normal range, but they're not optimal, that's going to affect the motility of the gut. And that's going to affect that kind of migratory motor complex that pushes things north south. And then they're a setup for SIBO for sure, because things are just going to march from the colon to the small intestine where they don't belong. Um, so fixing that and seeing that on those tests. And then the one that I think you were really kind of speaking to would be sex hormones. 
Um, if someone presents with an estrogen dominant presentation uh, in the sense that they have a history of ovarian cysts, fibrocystic breast tissue, dysmenorrhea, menorrhagia, you know, PCOS, something along those lines, um, or someone that hasn't really detoxified their environment yet, functional medicine is completely new to them and everything they cook in is plastic and everything they drink out of is plastic and all their cosmetic products have hormones in it. Those are all xenoestrogens that are going to affect them, not necessarily show up on blood as estrogen, but clearly are chunking up the system mm -hmm. from a detox standpoint, from a gut standpoint. So I'm going to look at a GI effects to see like beta-glucuronidase. Are they having enterohepatic recirculation of these things? Meaning the liver is working hard to detox, break down the estrogen into estrone. You got the good, the bad, and the ugly, the two, the 16, and the four hydroxy. And now it hopefully methylates, neutralizes, does its job, and you got to poop it out. But here comes this upregulated enzyme because of dysbiosis or whatever, clips off that neutralizing factor and kicks it right back to the liver to do double duty. I mean, the right. body, like all of us, doesn't really want to do the same job twice, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you want efficiency, you want optimization. Um, so I would, I would try to optimize those things. I would look at gut function from a detox standpoint. I would look at gut function from a extraction of nutrition standpoint. I mean, thyroid is really dependent on a, a host of different nutrients um, besides just iodine, zinc, and selenium. We're talking about iron. We're talking about vitamin D, vitamin A, magnesium, um, tyrosine as an amino acid. All these things need to be factored in and the gut affects all of them. So if someone has one of these conditions, if you haven't A, looked at that hormone hierarchy from top to bottom, B, looked at their gut, you're probably not going to get them right. You're probably not going to get them feeling better. And the answer is not throwing bioidentical hormones at them because if they're not detoxing and getting rid of those hormones appropriately, you're creating a problem on top of a problem and that's not good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I love the way that you kind of chart that out is those, you know, with those different buckets that you have to think about, you have to think yeah. about, you know, what their natural state from a sex hormone standpoint is and how that's being metabolized and how then that's being affected by the other kind of extraneous hormones, not extraneous, but you know, thyroid and how those impact the whole system. So it's, it's really great. Um, I was wanting to maybe turn attention a little bit to, I, I've recently but just been thinking a lot about elimination diets and and the concern, the problems that we run into as clinicians when trying to mitigate this aspect of people's sensitivities and how we yeah. deal with their sensitivities, but then how we also balance that with making sure we're not restricting them or overly restricting them. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, what is your approach from a sensitivity standpoint, but then also making sure that, you know, we can, we're, we're helping the GI become more tolerant, I guess. Yeah. So I think that's the million dollar question, or at least one of them. And um, it's a hard sell often to conventional medicine to get food sensitivity testing done. And, and I think mostly because it's not usually reproducible. But if you understand the pathology behind it and that it's a moving target and it's dependent on the integrity of the gut, then that makes sense. You wouldn't expect it to be reproducible. Mm -hmm. So the way I explain it to my patients is that there is a, a continuum and at one end of the spectrum is food allergy and it's IgE mediated and it's it's the histamine dump. It's what we all know, anything from a scratchy throat to anaphylactic shock. And if it's a true allergy, it's avoidance. Or if you're brazen enough desensitization, if you just absolutely love that food and you have no choice and you want to eat it, then get your shots or do sublingual immunotherapy. 
I have a tree nut allergy, um, which is anaphylactic. I am not that brazen. I just avoid tree Whoa. nuts. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm, pine I'm nuts are good, though. I mean, I'm bombed as a functional doctor that I can't eat nuts. You know, they're really good for you. Yeah. Super high nutrient density, but you know, pick and choose your battles. Right. Um, so, and then at the other end of that spectrum is the intolerance, which the best example would be like lactose intolerance. And so you are deficient or devoid of the enzyme that breaks that thing down. So in this case, lactase, and that's probably the most benign in my opinion, because you can just take lactase and mm-hmm. now you have that enzyme in capsule form and you're fixing that problem, so to speak. That gray area in the middle is where I see the food sensitivities and, and it's IgG mediated. So it's still immunologically um, influenced. But if the gut is inflamed or dysregulated, if we are chronically dysbiotic, which we would consider to be what's called a, a chronic hollow space infection, you kind of polarize your adaptive immune system and you're pushing away from this balance of this teeter totter and you now have this TH2 dominant response, which tends to be very histaminergic. And you start to lose this T regulatory response, which is really the housekeeper. It's kind of like the, the, what comes in and cleans up and all day long, we're sampling these things. That's good. That's bad. That's a foreign invader. This is me. So the body can differentiate that until it can't. And when you lose that tolerogenic response, and when you have that polarization of your immune system predicated on gut dysfunction, you then start to have food sensitivities. And, and all of a sudden, what I used to eat when I was a kid and never had a problem, I eat now and it creates a problem. My skin flares, I have a headache, I have belly pain, whatever the case may be. The list of symptoms that can be attributable to food sensitivities is, is a mile long. And a lot of them are extra intestinal. So I use the food panel as a guide. And, you know, if it comes back with 40 positives and the patients are overwhelmed and we sit down and we talk about it, See, look, the vast majority of these are going to be false positives. It's because your gut is scared right now. It's dysbiotic. It's your immune system is always going to err on the side of doing more than less. So it's going to just start flagging everything instead of curling into a ball and saying, okay, whatever you are, just come and take me. So you start to flag all these foods and ultimately you have a little bit of gradation in the, in the flagging. And so, you know, some are barely elevated, some are moderately elevated and some are super high. We tease out those, we make it logistically realistic. And so maybe there's three, four, five that we're going to say, Hey, we're going to eliminate these. We're going to do it for four to six weeks, bare minimum, let them clear out of your body. A, see how you feel during that time. Am I having more energy? Is my skin clearing up? Is my mood improving? Are my GI symptoms? If I have any getting better, what are you noticing? B pick a food that you miss the most after that elimination and add it in over three to five days, one food at a time, in moderation, because what happens sometimes is the dairy that they miss so much, all of a sudden they're eating blocks of cheese and of course you're gonna react. So in moderation, over three to five days, and again, listen to your body. Mm -hmm. And what usually happens is they are able to determine what was true and what was false. If it was a false positive, i.e. I eliminated, I reintroduced, I didn't have any symptoms, keep it in your diet. If it gives you symptoms, depending on the severity as an adult, you make a decision. Do I really miss this food so much that I'm going to eat it and feel this way? Or do I take it back out? Most take it back out. And, and, you know, I use that guide because the vast majority of individuals, myself included, were not really chomping at the bit to just do an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. I'm going to eliminate gluten and dairy and tree nuts and peanuts and most people want some guide. They want some quantified data, some hard evidence. And that's where I think there's utility in this test. 
Then you work on the gut, you heal it. And if you're so inclined on the back end of that, you can repeat that test to show that things have improved. We don't always do that. It's, it's usually the clinical correlation. That's usually kind of a one and done test, unless we feel like, you know, there's still a trigger somewhere that we're missing. What are we missing? What's new? We can't figure it out by analyzing their diet. Um, and we might re up on that test to see, because what happens is when you pull food away from someone that they're used to eating, they start eating new foods and those new foods might also be problematic. So now we have a new issue that wasn't on the first test because they weren't really eating that food. And, and sometimes those numbers will move on a, in a dose dependent fashion. So that is, I think, where it starts to get esoteric because, you know, is this because you're eating too much of this food and not necessarily because it's a sensitivity or is it because this is a cross reactive food with something else? Mm. Um, it gets really complicated and layered, but if you keep it simple, it stays simple. You can make it complicated if you want. Most people don't want that. Right, mm, right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let, let me just tell you what's happened here, Michael. What's that? Over the past 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you've just witnessed a masterclass in functional medicine sure. clinically with Dr. Christian Jensen. <laughs> For sure. And I will say, I know. Christian, I've, I met you maybe six years what's ago. What's the Venmo when, when, yeah. when did I miss? When did I meet you, Christian? Like six years ago, yeah? We met? Yeah. And so yeah. here we are, years later. We spoke on the phone. Yeah. We spoke on the yeah. phone and... Um, it was when I was just a young buck learning this stuff and, and Genova offers um, consultations to help interpret these tests. And, and you were my first consultant that Aww. helped me get through my tests. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder you're so smart. No, <laughs> no but what the audience do doesn't know is that Christian calls us the wolf pack now, the three of us. That's right. Patty we Michael are. And Christian. Well, this has been, like I said, a masterclass, Christian. But before we let you go, we yeah. do have one last question. Yeah, that you I'm know gonna how kick this to my, You've been here before, sir. The, the fireball question. I'm, I'm going go. to warn you, this is a doozy. Oh, no. This is a doozy. Come on. I've, I literally, yeah. I, don't, I haven't yeah. even been listening to you. I've just been thinking about what I can, <laughs> what can, I can play on you. And uh, so the question is... What the is the best ball. 80s movie? Whoa. Oh, gosh. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. I was gosh. not playing today. All of them. All of them. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't... I don't have it like I, I must I, I was born in 75. So that was literally from like when I was five to 15. Um, <laughs> probably. I don't like any of the John Hughes movies, oh, weren't right, those 80s right. movies? Yes. So like Breakfast Club, like yes, all of them, like yes. all of those were just killer. Like that was kind of our generation, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I My, mean, there's just too many. Uh, back, I would say probably the those. Yeah. Say again? Back to the Future, right? Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. That yeah, that has to be up there. Yeah, karate, just the karate, karate Kid for kid me. For, yeah. Yeah, karate Kid for sure, mm -hmm. definitely. But just the first ones. I didn't love the sequels of those. True. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Like the Back to the Future should have just stopped at one. Right. Karate Kid. I vaguely remember the second one being okay. All of the John Hughes movies were pretty great. Totally. Um, totally. But yeah, we they made really great movies back then. Thanks oh, for so that question. We're so <laughs> nostalgic now. No, that's, there goes the rest of the day, Michael. He's well, going to be no, watching the movie. The fun thing now is that the kids are starting to get to that age yes. where you're like, are they ready for the Karate Kid? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. That's really good, too. Well, they've already rebooted it on I Netflix, know. right? Yeah. There's like a whole like updated, Kai. everything's getting rebooted these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah, true. Not the same as the OG. That's right, baby. You tell them, Christian. That's right. <laughs> well, well, I will say, as per usual, always a blast talking to you, Christian. We can't thank you enough. But please know, this is not your last appearance, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm, it's my pleasure. I love talking with you guys. I would be happy to come back. We can do this whenever you want. <laughs> Thanks, awesome. dude. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. You're welcome. He's the uh, best. I love talking to He's Christian Jensky. Man. He's so passionate. He's so smart. 
I believe you called him smart and smooth earlier. See, you, I mean, did he not demonstrate both of those qualities? Yeah, he delivered. He certainly. And did. I don't even know. Maybe this, the which one is even in greater hmm. concentration, the smartness or the smoothness? Like they're yeah. they're almost hand in hand, equally balanced. Either way, which is I I think it's a feat. <laughs> well, we don't really know much about his feet. No, no. Maybe next time. I'm sure they're perfect. <laughs> Next time on The Lab Report, icosanoids. Fatty acids and inflammation. We're going to actually do it this time. Yeah. I think. Well, I mean, we unless do, something else comes we, up. We do that a lot. Yeah, it, well, Just roll it's with hard it. to, yeah, Planning's hard. Exactly. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So tell me why you escalated from hating Valentine's Day to wanting to punch all of February in the face. Well, it's also cold. Okay. So it doesn't have that going for it either. Do you hate presidents as well? I mean, do we need a day for presidents? You got your you you got elected. You got your term. You got your money. Hmm. Like, I, you, you, what other professions do we need to have a day for? All right. Well, what other visceral response and rant do you have against Punxsutawney Phil on the Groundhog Day? Obviously, it's on the wrong day. I mean, if you're February second, <laughs> there's no way in heck that you're gonna have immediate spring on February second. <laughs> what? Why are we even bothering with this? Yeah, it's six weeks later anyway. That's really stupid. But I will say any time that we can use a groundhog for some sort of festivities, we right. should be doing it because they're adorable. Maybe that's why they chose February 29th to be leap year. Like, get the heck out of February. I have early onset grumpiness. You do.